We didn't have signal, but I attempted to make the call anyway, and somehow it went through, and the 911 operator picked up. Her, her voice was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm Rebecca Huntington, and you're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, with support from the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. Backcountry Zero is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. You can support this project and the Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers by making a donation today. Visit www.tetoncountysar.org donate. If you like listening to The Fine Line, share us with a friend. Katie Harris loves being outdoors, and that's how she wanted to spend her birthday. So she and her boyfriend, B.J. Appel, rented snowmobiles to explore the trails around Togadi Pass. Although they followed the map, they soon took a turn onto an obscure trail that guides no longer use. And that's when they found themselves stranded and alone in a snowstorm. I'm Katie Harris, and I live in Chicago, but I have been to Jackson several times. I am like a national park enthusiast. I love the national parks and um, the Grand Tetons are my favorite. Jenny Lake is my favorite place on the planet Earth. This is BJ. My last name is Appel. I am a freelance watch designer and I have a difficult sense of time. I love the national parks. I don't think it's possible to love them as much as Gadia does. And, and I've been to Jackson Hole before. Uh, last time I was, I was like maybe 13 years old. So at least once a year, I take these really long trips, usually alone, out west. Um, my best friend from Peace Corps lives in Montana, and so I usually go and see her and some other people. So this was going to be one of those. I, <laughs> I'm kind of an introvert, but I agreed to share it with my loving, dear boyfriend. We just stopped in Jackson Hole for my birthday because I love it so much, and that's where I wanted to spend my birthday. My birthday is Christmas, so I don't get to celebrate my birthday often. Yeah, we just decided to stay in Drake, Idaho, actually, and then um, do some snowmobiling over towards the Tetons. We had decided to go to Togadi because we heard that it was really great from the place where we rented the snowmobiles. My thing was I wanted to be outside on my birthday and outside kind of in the winter and in the mountains. Um, Little did I know I would be outside much more than I bargained for. And so we found a rental place that let us take the sled on my birthday. We took a nap, you know, we, we talked to them. We were just gonna go around, play around on the trails. We borrowed from Leisure Sports a big GMC something, but it was, it was big enough that we were able to take uh, the trailer with us. Did have a little difficulty like hooking the the snowmobile to the uh, trailer that we had because it had been a while since uh, either one of us had been on a snowmobile. We were having such a good time. It was probably two hours that we spent on the snowmobile. It was fantastic. Everything was going great. And it was snowing a little bit, but it wasn't really snowing heavily. When it started snowing really heavily, that's when we started to have issues. So a few hours in, it started really coming down and the trails started getting a little bit wonky. They weren't as well groomed, of course, because it was Christmas Day, but also because, you know, 
it's it's snowing really hard. How are you going to continuously groom the trails? And so we were going to turn back around and head back to the car. We started getting stuck. We stopped seeing people out as much once it started really snowing. We were having issues getting back. So we were getting it stuck quite a bit. It was really difficult to drive. We were trying to like get back as soon as we could. It was really getting messy out. And we were hitting some places where the snow was accumulating really quickly. There was like this point when we started getting much more like the snowmobile kept on getting like legitimately stuck. It wasn't just slowing down. It was actually getting stuck. So there was one time when it it actually fell that we were able to get it back out. Actually a couple times. And we were like, "Oh my goodness, we're, you know, this is this is getting really messy. We've got to get back." And it was just becoming increasingly apparent that it was getting harder and harder to drive it. I think that both of us were just focused on getting back until we really realized that there was a possibility that we were going to get stuck stuck. I think it just sort of like snowballed because all of a sudden it's finally getting dark and, you know, the environment around us is changing and now we're under the gun that we have to figure out how to you know, escape this. I believe it was like 2 p.m. We were trying to get the snowmobile out because we knew approximately when the sun was going to set. At about 3.30, we decided that we were going to stop trying to get the snowmobile out and start getting ready to stay the night because we only had an hour of daylight to really prepare. It took us a while, I think, at first to agree that we would be there for the night. But when we did, we kind of made our minds up that uh, we had to collect sticks branches, making a nest, basically. We made a little foxhole for us so that I mean, we knew that we were going to be sleeping there for the night. We dug a hole in the snow, so looking around from the snowmobile, there was like a, a little cluster of trees, and the trees, you know, we kind of figured that the trees would block the wind. And then once the hole was dug, we kind of tried to build the walls up a little bit, and then we started picking branches and um, kind of the, the needles off the trees and lined the hole So, you know, to protect us from the cold of the snow. And uh, we did most of that before the sun set. When the sun set, we we still had some spots on the ground that weren't covered by branches, but um, we did as much as we could. Neither one of us had cell service, and BJ has AT&T, I have Verizon. There was, like, an issue with getting signal. Also, we both have iPhones, and as Chicagoans, we both know very well that if it's really cold outside, your iPhone is probably not going to work for very long. So we were having issues with them shutting down, too. It was horrible. It was so cold. We we did not bring any extra clothes. I think that would have been incredible. I think if we would have known about that as, as being... <laughs> if we knew that we were going to get stuck. <laughs> if we knew that we were going to get stuck, yeah, we would have brought extra clothing. Uh, we wish that we would have had uh, a lighter or book of matches with us. Definitely wish that we had some uh, hand warmers and foot warmers, for sure those would have definitely come in handy. One thing that we should have done before we left is make sure that there was an emergency kit on the snowmobile because I think that that would have been super helpful to have some kind of emergency kit with like a lighter, first aid stuff, and maybe even like a flare because I usually, when I'm hiking, I carry a flare, but I didn't have my hiking pack with me, which was kind of stupid.
Right. And, and this stuff, there's plenty of room on the back of the snowmobile for there to be some sort of little kit like that. I think that would have been really a good move. Hopefully, they'll, they'll, the place we rented this from will uh, decide to implement that. And others. Yeah, and others. Yeah, but I mean, we have to take responsibility because we we could have brought things to make sure. And we should have checked. We should have checked to see if there was like a safety kit on the, on the snowmobile. And, and on top of that, I know that when, whenever my family and I would, would take trips in Mexico to like renting out like an ATV, you know, four-wheeler or something like that, they always want to give you uh, lessons. And I think that I, we, we really could have benefited from just a few things. For us, just kind of keeping busy, just giving us something to do was, was absolutely key in, in, you know, really making it through the night. So our snowmobile, which which had plenty of gas in it initially, was really helpful. Um, so obviously we couldn't move it anywhere. But what we did want to do was to turn the lights on, you know, with the idea that passerbyers will, will see us. And then, of course, hearing the engine as well. So about every half an hour, we would turn on the engine, let it run for about, I don't know, maybe about five minutes or so. Uh, we would put our hands by the engine so that we could warm up for a little bit and then turn it off and then we would kind of go back to the the foxhole that we had made before we ended up, you know, sleeping. I would check my watch about every every half an hour and we would repeat. And we took breaks kind of dancing around and being silly a little bit just to kind of keep our blood flowing in our hearts, you know. It started getting really, really cold at about, I would say, because it was like tolerable during the day. But the sun set at around 4.30. It started getting really cold at around 9 o'clock at night. I actually did sleep from about 5 p.m. until about 9 p.m. And then I started getting really, really cold. And because of the mountain lions, which is what I was really worried about because I knew that, you know, uh, they were probably the most, the most immediate threat. DJ and I wanted to turn on the snowmobile to let animals know that we were there, first of all, because, because you know, most animals don't want to see you. And just to get ourselves up and going and warm ourselves up, because the engine was warmer than anything else out there. So we stayed on the snowmobile for about an hour during twilight just because the animals are so much more active during twilight and we didn't want an animal to stumble upon us and get frightened and attack us or, or get scared or whatever might happen. And so we went ahead and we stayed on the snowmobile for about an hour during twilight. And then we headed off really shortly before sunrise. We headed off in the direction that we had come from and we just started walking. It was definitely the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. I thought for sure at around 2 a.m. that I was like that I was going to die. And I had totally, um, I had kind of accepted it. And, you know, I had initially started shivering and then I started shaking and then it got worse. And then I started sweating at around 2 a.m. And I was like, well, this is how it ends on my 35th birthday <laughs> in the middle of the wilderness. But yeah, it was for sure the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. I've been in a lot of situations that were scary. I was on a on a 14-day trek in the Himalayas. There was a snowstorm 
an unseasonable snowstorm up near the peak of the Annapurna Trail, and we got stuck in a snowstorm. We had to slowly kind of come back down to the city. There were a lot of avalanches that we were climbing over. So that was that was really scary. But yeah, I mean, this was this was pretty terrifying. And it's a really large area. And so there's no guarantee that someone's going to pass you by. It's just really, really important to be prepared. My name's Matt Carr, and I'm a lieutenant at the sheriff's office. And I oversee the, uh, multiple divisions, one of them being search and rescue, and also have the privilege of being uh, a team member on the search and rescue team as well. I became directly involved mid-morning. When we received a call from dispatch, they were able to eventually get a call out, which was pretty amazing. And almost at the same time, or certainly within the same time frame, we received a call from the rental place. And it was just an interesting circumstance of events because uh, they had rented the sled on Christmas Day. The idea was to return the truck and sled that afternoon and and go about their rest of their vacation. Uh, And of course, being Christmas, there was nobody at the rental store to say, hey, wait a second, these folks didn't return. You know, what happened? And so it wasn't until the next morning on the 26th, uh, after they had spent a night out, that uh, uh, we received a call from the rental company and also Katie was able to get a phone call out. And we knew for a fact that the people at Leisure Sports weren't coming back until 7 a.m. the next morning or a little bit earlier. And so at around 7 a.m., I remember telling BJ, okay, like they know that we aren't, that like we're gone now which is a very comforting feeling to know that you're not out there and, you know, just kind of alone. We knew that anytime we have folks that spend a night out in the backcountry and that was not their intent, that it's a situation we need to immediately look into. And given the temperatures and the area, it becomes a a very uh, dynamic situation where we have to uh, mobilize our team and start to figure out, okay, where are we going to start to look? You know, the original information that we got from Leisure Sports was uh, what they thought was the intended plan of travel. Um, and so we knew we could go up to Togety and we could locate the rental vehicle and, and the, uh, the trailer and at least establish a starting point. Uh, and then again, it was mentioned to us that they thought they were going to ride out to Brooks Lake Lodge, have lunch and, and come back. And that's often a plan that many folks do up in the Togedy area. Um, but you talked about uh, massive space. I mean, Togedy, I think, has over 700 miles of trails. It is a, it's an amazing recreational place, but it's very vast. And obviously, uh, cell phone coverage or communication in general is a super big challenge. We train up at Togedy, the search and rescue team, quite often. And even with the um, complex radio systems uh, that we have, we don't have a good way to communicate up there. It truly is kind of a black hole. BJ and I kind of had very different opinions. I really wanted to stay with the snowmobile. And we kind of had, you know, BJ had given in and we decided to stay with the snowmobile that night. I would have gone with him had he walked off, but I really, I really was like, I just, we need to stay here. Um, And we couldn't see anything, yeah. So the next morning, though, you know, during twilight, we were sitting with the snowmobile on and BJ had kind of said, look, like, I think that we should walk in the direction that we came from as soon as the sun comes up. And even though I I was kind of 
I kind of didn't want to. I'm glad that we did because ultimately, after walking for three hours, we finally were able to get a cell signal. You know, we had tried several times to take BJ's phone out because I had lost my phone at some point during the night um, to take BJ's phone out and see if we had signal. We hadn't been very lucky. And so we finally got to a clearing that was elevated and we didn't have signal, but I attempted to make the call anyway and somehow it went through and the 911 operator picked up. We immediately mobilized the team. The communication between our dispatch center and Katie was lost pretty quickly. We knew a couple things from it. We knew that they had spent the night out and that they were not prepared to stay the night out. Um, there was mention of the cold and even potential hypothermia involved. Um, so from a search and rescue standpoint, we knew we had a serious situation. And I don't know that we were even able to communicate to you you guys, Katie, that we were coming. Um, it's just, uh, you know, Togedy is uh, at least an hour and a half, depending upon road conditions, from, from the town of Jackson. And uh, we have to decide, you know, is this going to be a land-based operation or are we going to launch it? We do have the uh, fortunate opportunity of having a, a helicopter under contract that we utilize for search and rescues. We can't always fly. You know, the weather can be really bad and prevent us from flying. We had two calls with the same operator. I kind of just told her, I was like, oh my gosh, we're out, we're stranded. We're at, and I couldn't think of the name Togety because I was just totally out of it. Um, and I said, I remember saying, my, my boyfriend's lips are blue. And he was like, my lips are blue? <laughs> like, and I was like, and we, like, we're stuck and we need help. And she was like, okay, stay on the line. We're, you know, we'll make sure that we get you. And so then the call cut out shortly after that and we called them back and got the same woman again yeah it was incredible her, her voice was the most beautiful thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> i was like crying on the phone i felt like such a dope so it was quite a fortunate thing that they were able to get a phone call out if we can keep the callers on the line long enough we can try to pinpoint a location Given the cell phone uh, challenges up there, you know, oftentimes we can't rely on those coordinates and we don't know the accuracy of them. As it turns out, in hindsight, the coordinates that we were able to get off Katie's call were extremely accurate, enabled us to get into a place to affect the rescue very quickly because a lot of times these searches uh, just can take hours or days, you know, that we've experienced before and they become this widespread search area because there's so much terrain up there. So we called back because um, we lost signal. We called back and we got her back. I talked to her for a little bit and then the phone died. But she had said, because as soon as she picked up, I was like, do you guys know where to get us? Are you guys going to get us? And then I told her, I was like, it's so cold out here. I don't think that I can make it another night. And she was like, you don't have to stay out there another night. We're going to get you guys. She was like, you guys need to stay, like, just stay exactly where you are. And that's always our recommendation, you know, is just if you're lost or turned around or in a situation, it's stay put, try to remain calm, 
And, um, you know, again, the fortunate thing in hindsight is that uh, you were on the line long enough for us to get a good Latin long on your position. Um, The thing that was really shocking to us as this was unfolding in the command center was, um, gosh, if they're at Togedi, you know, we know that's a vast country, but why hasn't somebody else come across them? You know, there's there's a right. lot of folks that recreate up there, especially over the holiday weekend or the holiday weird. holiday season. We're like, why hasn't that happened? And we got the coordinate. And once we established the coordinate, it did line up on a trail. So that's starting to give us tidbits of information that, hey, we're on the right track because you can't blindly rely on some of these coordinates sometimes. But then when we know that they were on a trail and, and our coordinate that we're pinging from their phone is lining up with with the actual location on a trail map, we're like, okay, this is starting to come together. And and one thing we did find out is that they had wound up on a trail that is very rarely maintained by Togedi. And I think that's something that probably is, is maybe a little unclear on the map because it is a marked trail on the map. Um, but when we called and talked to the guide service up there, they're like, oh, well, we don't ever travel that area. You know, it's not very well maintained. We don't take our guided groups out there. Because quite frankly, we, we rely on Togany Mountain Guides. They, they help us a lot with our rescues. They're familiar with the terrain. They're out there. And, and so that was one of the baffling pieces to us, you know, that we know it's huge country, but if they're in a trail system and on a trail system, why hasn't somebody else come by? And that was something that we had to overcome ourselves at the command center to figure that out and work through it. So I think, um, you know, you guys, it was sounds pretty lonely out there and that was one of the things that we were just trying to understand uh is is uh why somebody else hadn't come across you so right i mean we're just so grateful to you matt and to you know the rescue team it was yeah i mean we would have we would not have survived without you guys you guys definitely saved our lives so we are just incredibly incredibly grateful to all of you. Hearing the chopper, hearing the helicopter was incredible. It was like it was like a scene out of a movie. When we started we started to hear it out in the distance and then it became louder and louder. Yeah, it was really really cool. Yeah, and I think that just the dispatcher for me when she answered when she told us that we weren't going to have to stay out there for another night. Like I I was so cold and I definitely now I know that my core temperature had dropped quite a bit, but I was having trouble like walking. When we decided to walk out from the snowmobile, I was like totally running off of adrenaline. So I had been walking like that for three hours and I was walking with purpose. When I heard her voice, I just collapsed. I just absolutely collapsed and it felt like it felt good to not have to be on anymore, to not have to be in survival mode anymore. We just kind of sat down and waited. You know, I'm, I'm so glad what you said about our dispatcher. We have some wonderful people working for us, and and obviously uh, the support that we have, our, our team, our search and rescue team is made up of volunteers that leave their jobs on a regular basis to affect these rescues. What we do through Backcountry Zero is targeted for locals, for visitors, and everybody alike. And, and we've, we've created this What's in Your Packs uh, system that we really hope gives people an idea of uh, some things that they need to bring along with them in the backcountry, you know, to get people thinking about 
what they're carrying with them. And it's, it's very, you know, it varies from season to season and activity to activity. But a lot of those items do always include a source of fire, you know, reliable, sometimes a multiple sources of fire, whether it's matches and a lighter on top of that, extra clothing, uh, food and water, and some sort of temporary shelter because you never know uh, when you're going to be faced with a situation like this. So if it's just a tarp or a rescue tarp or any of those sorts of items, those are things that we try to encourage people to think about. And then that, that's going to vary from, from season to season and situation to situation. Um, another thing we do is uh, we encourage folks to uh, leave a rescue, leave a plan, a trip plan. And we know that, that plans change and, and things happen. Uh, one thing that we've, we have provided for folks in the past and we have available is little pieces of paper that you can leave in the dashboard of your car, you know, just as you're heading out into the back country. That gives us a clue or a place to start um, because searches are so challenging. Like I said, we were fortunate on this one. Um, technology really helped us out. Uh, we were able to fly a ship, which was the right thing to do to get to you guys as quickly as we could. Weather can prevent those things. So when people come to visit the area or they're here and they're recreating, that there's resources out there that they can go to, uh, like Backcountry Zero. Leaving the note on the dashboard of your car, that is the greatest idea. It's so simple, but so effective. And so I've been looking a lot at you guys' website and your social media, and I've been seeing all of this promotional material. It's incredible because it, it tells you exactly what you need to prepare. And, you know, there's only, as a business owner, I know that there's only so much that you can do to promote yourself. So I think that it would be really, really great if these rental places would kind of have some of you guys' um, material available and encourage people to advertise what Teton County Search and Rescue does so that people are more inclined to look and see what you guys have going on, the educational stuff that you guys have on Facebook and your website and all of that. I think that had we had a reminder, we probably would have brought a pack. And without a doubt, having granola bar or something to eat. We didn't have food at all, which wasn't as big of a concern as just the cold, because it did get so cold at night. We were both definitely very aware that the cold was definitely the number one danger. But I do want to say that the people at Leisure Sports were incredible. They were absolutely incredible. And so we don't want to like put all of the, the ownership on them. Like we do take responsibility, but I do think that there's such a powerful role that these rental companies can play in making sure that people are safe by reminding them to take packs. I mean, we had bonded with these people. I'm a social worker, so I bond a lot. But we had definitely established relationships and were very grateful for them because they did do the right thing. They called it in as soon as they realized we were gone. The search and rescue doctor and the EMT actually spoke with our doctors here in Chicago when we got back because we had to be admitted to the hospital for observation. When I went in for a checkup with my doctor, and when I told her that they were volunteers, she, her mind was blown because just incredible, incredible and dedicated volunteers. So we both had frost nip, and they told us we might still have problems for a few months. 
And actually, BJ's been struggling with numbness and um, his hands and feet a little bit. Yeah, it's getting better. It's getting better, though. I'm so glad it turned out the way it did. Um, You met a lot of our volunteers that we have through the process. um, And they're an amazing group of people. And we're we're so thankful that community supports search and rescue and everything that we do. So I'm glad it turned out the way it is. I'm super glad uh, because I I was able uh, to poke my head in and and see you guys uh, when you got back to the hangar. I think you were being uh, attended to by one of our doctors. But uh, it's nice to, to sit down and hear your side of the story. And I really appreciate your willingness to share it and, and to be a part of this. So thank you. Absolutely. I mean, we appreciate you so much more than you know. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.